Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Today, we are joined by Danita Smith, founder and CEO of My Blooming Health, a mobile lab offering in-home and walk-in lab services for individuals with limited physical ability, those who may be underinsured or without immediate access to healthcare, or just for the convenience. Danita, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone. We're so excited that you were able to join us today, and I think our listeners are going to be really excited to, to hear more about you today. So we're going to kick off the way that we always do. Danita, could you talk to us a little bit about your story? My story. Well, my story is um, all under healthcare. <laughs> it's all under healthcare. I started back in high school. We had a high school program um, where I was able to become a CNA while in high school. Um, so at the age of 16, and then by the time I turned 17, I was an LPN. So truly healthcare, nursing, that's pretty much what I know. That's, that's my background. Um, from there, I went on to um, community college. So I strongly encourage community college. Um, it's not like an out-of-the-box, not typical type of education. If, um, if that's where you go, if that's what you can afford, I highly recommend um, a community college. So that's where I did. That's what I did. I got my RN, um, associate's degree, went on to get my bachelor's in nursing um, at a four-year college, McKendree. It was McKendree College back then. Now it's McKendree University. And then later I got my MBA through Webster here in St. Louis, Missouri. So um, pretty much grew up in BJC. That's my healthcare background. Um, I worked a couple of nursing homes prior to that as a CNA and an LPN, but as an RN, I primarily worked um, cardiac, pulmonary, and then went into case management and then managed a hospitalist program with the physicians at one of the BJC health centers. Go ahead, Nigel. I was going to say, I think that's, that's a pretty awesome start. I've heard of trade school programs where people can go to work on cars and things like that in high school, but I, I haven't heard of an LPN program like that in, in a high school situation. Um, mm -hmm. A, I'd love to hear what drew you to doing healthcare at such a young age. That's that's such an early time to make a commitment like that. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about the program itself. Is that just something offered at your school? And have you seen that other places? Okay, now mind you, I've been out of high school a long time, <laughs> a very long time. And there was actually just one more class after my class because obviously the high school students kept dropping out. Like we started off with 24 and ended up with four that we graduated with. Oh, um, wow. well, I mean, we were young and I almost dropped out just because, you know, you want to enjoy your teens. And yeah. usually at that age, you cannot see the future. You can't see, you know, what your life track will look like. And so you try to make it, you kind of make an instant decision. But I had a couple of nurses who did, who I did clinicals with that helped me make the decision to stay, sorry, to stay on track, which I did. Um, but I was pretty young. I think I was about eight or nine. Um, and there was a girl at church who um, was a nurse. I'm sorry, guys, I can't get that to mute. But there was a girl at, um, at church who was a nurse and she 
stood up a couple of times to testify and talk about her stories with her patients. And, and almost immediately, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a nurse. So I was pretty young. I was still in my sing single digits when I knew I wanted to help people um, feel better when they're sick. And so that's been my mindset. And that's what I've been doing. Wow, that is um, absolutely amazing. A lot of thoughts uh, really do come to my head in terms of just your career as a nurse, because it sounds like you really bossed up and really achieved some awesome goals um, in, in that field in particular before pivoting into the entrepreneurial space. But I kind of just want to know the mentality kind of to Nigel's you know question of a 16-year-old who had the stick-to-itness to, to, to really, you know, pursue something you know so what kept you like you said you mentioned you almost dropped you dropped out but really what was it that kept you kind of on this pathway it was simply um one of the nurses said to me um I did clinicals at Wood River Hospital I don't even think that hospital still exists but um over in Illinois and one of the nurses said to me she said Danita do you know that if you drop out now and I know you're young but if you drop out now life will get in the way and you'll never finish and that just resonated with me. I mean, here I am now, you know, mid forties and that still sits with me as if she just said it yesterday, but it's real. You know, we're now all older now and we understand what it means for life to get in the way. And she was right. So that is what allowed me to stick with it because I did not want things to happen within my life that was gonna throw me off my career path and keep me from being what I wanted to be. I love that. And that's that's powerful. Life will definitely get in the way. And I think in in both positive ways and sometimes not so positive ways. Just, right. You know, life happens. Just um, life. Yeah. 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 Life happens. I love also that, you know, called out community college. Right. You know, as you know, something that is a, a viable option for many people. Absolutely. Can you speak to, you know, kind of just the uniqueness of that experience and how like what are some of the biggest takeaways, you know, that you felt you gained from your experience in community college? Um, well, well, to be honest, I can't compare it to like the dorm life because I never did the dorm life. All I can say is with the community college, because I, I, I love my family. So I was able to stay home, um, live under mom's roof. You know, I loved it. And, um, I didn't have all the hassles of, of what I hear about dorm life. The, the, the instructors there, um, we're very caring and compassionate, and they gave us direction. They're the reasons why I went to McKendree um, as my next step is just because they work with you so closely one-on-one. -on -one. You're not in like a room full of 150 people, and you're just this number, and, and you have to have that your own strength to push forward. They work with you. They work with you one-on-one, -on -one and it's just like a small family. I mean, I just, I adore the various instructors and of course the other students that were there. We all kind of created a pack and had our study groups and it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I think you brought up a, a really awesome point there. I think, you know, a lot of young people, especially especially now, there's just so much pressure to, to know what you want to do and what you need to do at such an early age to be making a decision like that. And the go-to is often just go to college, you know, take out some loans, you'll figure it out along the way. And that that shouldn't be the the go to for right. everyone. So I think it's a great message to, to go to community college. It's, it's not any lesser, it's a great opportunity, you're going to learn awesome things there, and then can become a fantastic entrepreneur like your like yourself that we have here today. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your transition into your workplaces. So you mentioned that you worked at um, some homes before you went to the hospital system, and then now you're an entrepreneur. So what were some of the key differences you saw in those different facilities that you worked at as a nurse? Um, well, I worked as um, a CNA and an LPN in the, in the nursing homes, the extended care facilities. And that definitely was key to the, the compassion that I have for my patients today. Um, I had the opportunity to get close to them. Um, you know, as a CNA, you're the one bathing them. Sorry. <laughs> you're the one bathing them and um, feeding them and um, ensuring that they did take their medicine and their supplements. And um, you get to know their family members. So you you really get a chance to know who people are outside of your own family and friends. And um, these old people who are in a nursing home, they once had a prior life just like you and I. You know, they worked, they had kids, they had friends, they went to church, they went to the store, they did everything that we do today, but now they live in a facility where they live, like that's their residence. And so you just learn how to take care of whatever their needs are. And it has um, allowed me to grow into who I am today as a nurse. And um, that's just something I can't let go of. So I think even if I was like at some department store running up uh, charges for, for people, I still would have that same compassion to ensure that people have what they need in order to meet whatever their needs are for that day. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, It makes me just think about, you know, the experiences that are sometimes necessary to really be an an effective or impactful provider. Um, And, you know, everyone has different pathways, but for you, you know, for the entry point to kind of be the CNA extended care route, like you said, you're exposed to a much more, or an opportunity, I think, to be much more intimate, obviously, and much more one-on-one. And it sounds like you really, you know, took that on. So I would be curious, as you kind of, you know, went on to get more qualifications and, you know, more licenses, and then emerged into a larger healthcare system like BJC, took on leadership roles, what was that experience like? And what was it like kind of going from, being right at the bedside, one-to-one patient interaction to, you know, eventually leading, you know, entire teams um, and departments at a major healthcare organization? Well, you know, um, you have to set goals for yourself. And typically when you set goals, you're going to reach those goals. If you write your goals on paper and you map it out, um, you will reach those goals and then you create new goals. And then life just is a big old snowball of full of phenomenal goals. So my first time I ever did that was in high school. You know how you get those high school booklets that is full of memories and pictures and you write who was the class clown and and all these different things that you can go back on and look at. And I had my life goals in there as far as where I would be in the next three to five to 10 years, what car I would drive, if I would be married, kids, what job, that sort of thing. So I wrote all my goals down in that little book and just continue the pathway down the healthcare realm. And so once um, I kind of get bored easily when it comes to my career, like I can only learn so much. Once I've learned what I need to learn, I'm gonna move on. And that's what happened to me in my first RN position. I worked the cardiac pulmonary unit and it eventually got to the point where I could literally run my day in my head. I knew what medicines different people would get for what various reasons and um, the, the milligrams, the pushes, the everything. It just, it was so routine that it was boring. Like I need something a little bit more exciting. Something that's going to change, you know, where I need a challenge, basically. I need a mental challenge. And so um, 
they almost immediately, like I was probably a nurse for less than a year where I became like the um, assistant charge nurse or whatever, relief charge nurse, I believe is what it was called. Um, and I enjoyed it because I did get the opportunity to supervise while I was in that role. And of course, when I wasn't, then I was a staff nurse. Um, so it was hard going back and forth. So I was like, well, let me, once I got my bachelor's degree, I was like, well, let me take a step up and into another position. And that's when I left and went to big Barnes, Barnes Jewish downtown. And, um, took on a like the assistant nurse manager position and did that for a few years. And I learned so much as far as leadership and BJC is a phenomenal health system. If you guys are even familiar, well, you guys do wash you. And I think they kind of job share a lot of things and um, they offer almost every single program that you need to better yourself. And it's free. I took advantage. I got to the point where I could not take any other class that they had to offer <laughs> over there at their BJC learning center. I took it all. And, and luckily I had supervisors and managers who allowed me the time off to go and take those classes um, during the work week. And so leadership myself out of all those conferences, because I just, I took, a, I took it all. And then my next step was to get a master's degree. And at the time they did not have a master's in nursing program, go figure, but they didn't. So I did a um, master's in business. And that's what led me to where I am today, because I never had an idea that I would be an entrepreneur. Like it never crossed my mind, never considered it, could never see myself in that position. Other people could, they would say things like, oh, I can see you being, um, they, I can see you running some healthcare building one day, things of that sort. And I'm like, no, it won't be me. <laughs> Just because of all the trials and tri tribulations that you got to put up with as you grow. Um, but with my MBA, with a healthcare emphasis, this what led me to what I'm doing. I, I ended up getting into case management, which I see as the business side of nursing. Um, it's a totally different side of nursing, caring for your patients and what their needs are after they leave a hospital. Um, and you kind of, as the case manager, you kind of feel that black hole that they fall into when they leave the hospital and transition to home. And you wonder why they're back in the emergency room. Um, so frequently because that, that transition for them is just, it's, it's so, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but it, it's just that it's, it's a vulnerable position for a lot of people, whether they have family members at home or not, it's a very vulnerable position for them. And they typically fall or they fail in that role. And so as a case manager, you kind of help them with that piece. Um, so from there, I went on to be the hospitalist manager and um, Dr. Patney, um, Vikram Patney, he is now renal. He's a renal doctor here in the St. Louis area. Um, but him and I started up the hospitalist program at one of the BJC health, health facilities. And I learned so much um, in regards to business, in regards to case management. Um, it was just a phenomenal thing. And that mixed with my MBA with the healthcare emphasis. And we started talking about um, some of the various needs that our patients needed in order to stay out of the ER so frequently and unnecessarily. You just bring it all together and bam, it's like, okay, I can do that, which was the lab draws, which is what I do now as an entrepreneur. And um, it just, it was supposed to be a hobby, like an evening and weekend thing. You know, I can just run around and do these blood draws for these people who can't get out of the house and um, make sure that they get it done. But it just kept growing and growing and growing. And 
And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be able to tell that story that I didn't expect it to turn into a business because it was just like something to help out the community with. And But here I am with this company that I adore. It's my baby. I've had it for nearly 10 years now. So yeah, really excited. Amazing journey. And I mean, I, I think that just keys us up perfectly, actually, for you to talk a little bit more about what my blooming health is, what services you guys provide, and kind of just walk us through where you started and where you're at now. Um, well, it started um, simply, like I mentioned, just to do blood draws in the home. Um, and of course, most of the nursing homes is who called me first, which was fine, the assistant livings, um, living facilities. But I learned, uh, again, another side of healthcare because I just assumed that all these services was in place for these different facilities, but they're not always. Um, eventually it got to the point where individuals started calling me. Um, they had not heard of such a thing. And at that time it was before I took on insurance. And so I had a couple of people that would call me, but they were like, Oh, I have insurance. And so since I have insurance, I don't want to pay out of pocket. So we got on board with the insurance and we were started, we were able to take reimbursement, but, um, there was a little glitch there. And once you sign up to be a, an insurance provider, you have to just do that. You can't do both. Um, so you can't allow um, the insurance providers to pay you and you have the patients pay you out of pocket. It's one or the other. And so we have done that for many, many years. We have grown it. Um, we see on average anywhere between 30 to 40 patients per day. And we're Monday through Friday. We also, we have a walk-in lab that we started in late 2019. It's here in Overland, Overland, Missouri, 63114. We do drug screens. We do um, DNA paternity testing. We do the gender testing. Um, I want to next get into the gender reveal party. So I know that is such a big thing. But yes, we do the gender testing. So if you know any pregnant moms out there, send them our way so they can know what, what gender their child will be. Um, so yeah, we, let's see, we talked about the drug screens. We also do the employee, the employee drug screening. So if there are any employers out there, we do have packets set up for the employers to also have their, their employees come in for testing. Um, and we'll also go on site. So we'll go out to your location, which saves a lot of time and a lot of money for you as an employer, because then your, your staff member is not leaving work in order you have to replace them during those hours and or you're taking risk of them um, doing something to the specimen before they get to us. So, you know, where they could, could um, pack something that might be inappropriate. And it happens, you know, you hate to admit it, but there wouldn't be drug testing out here if people were not, you know, mistreating things. So, but we're available to help. Um, we do the DOT and the non-DOT testing. So we really enjoy that. Um, and then COVID testing as well. We do the COVID testing here and also mobile. One of the key things that we are about to add, if I can mention that, um, we're, so we're transitioning. You guys caught me in the middle of a huge transition here. So next year will be our 10 year anniversary. And we have had very, we've had many challenges in regards to working with insurance reimbursement. And so that is going to be one of our major changes that's going to happen. We will turn into private pay actually here within the next 30 days. So everything will be private pay. Um, so the COVID testing, paternity testing, drug screenings, everything of that sort. However, if you do have insurance, then on the back end, the specimens can still be processed through your insurance. But for us to collect it, it will be private pay. But with that, 
we're also able to add in IV infusion. So that's brand spanking new. Um, like we haven't even changed our website yet to update that, but we're at, uh, adding the, the multivitamin um, infusions that we will do here on site here in Overland, um, as well as in the home. So yes, we're excited to bring on those new services. That's really exciting stuff. And look at us, Winston. Now we get to be a breaking news podcast <laughs> yeah, on top of uh, leadership oh, development. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that is. Um, so, I mean, this is uh, serious, like super, like a super serious um, uh, endeavor, uh, like just hearing you say everything. And I think there is a lot just from the journey to where you are now. Uh, individuals like ourselves, you know, young professionals with some of these ideas or, you know, just how to, you know, questions we could learn. One of the things that really caught my ear um, was when you first started out and you were working with the different facilities and you assumed, like I would have assumed that a lot of these facilities would have had testing services, but they would have had this, you know, covered somehow, some way. Um, And so that just made me think, you know, what are some of the disparities in testing that, you know, you see from your perspective and why is it so important and so critical, particularly for, you know, African-American or black communities or other vulnerable populations to have these kinds of services? No, that's, that's, that's an excellent route to take. Um, Yes. The disparities is something actually why I wanted to get into this um, and why I did switch over to, um, allowing the insurance carriers to come in and and help out a little bit so people can know that these services are available. Um, One of the things that we did learn in the hospital when we were doing our various pilot programs is that patients come to the hospital and to the ER unnecessarily several times, multiple times, like within a given 30 days, simply because they do not have the resources. And the reasons they don't have the resources is because um, of several factors. Um, one being their location, their zip code here in the St. Louis area, um, and they just do, do not have access to healthcare as for those that are further out west. Um, access to healthcare is just not as great as it is out there that it is in the city. And so I wanted to be that vehicle that they needed in order to, to bring the healthcare to them, which is why we do enjoy being able to go into the homes. Um, we've got a lot of patients who are homebound, like they they're wheelchair bound, they're on a walker, Um, they might have some mental disorder or they just might be elderly and their adult child is, um, you know, have a family of their own and they work. And so it's a challenge trying to get them out to the clinic to get their blood work done. So um, when we talk about disparities, you have to consider that the people um, who truly need this service are those who, are not able to take off work. If you take off work, you don't get paid. Um, you might have um, kids that you that are too young for you to leave alone, but you also can't, especially during COVID time, you can't take them to the clinic while you know your mom is getting getting her blood work done. So it's so much easier and so much more convenient um, for us to be able to come into your home. So when you talk about disparities, these are the these are the patients who again do not have the access to healthcare because. They will run to the ER, but it's not until they feel so bad that a leg is about to fall off. And I'm exaggerating, but in that sense, um, they'll sit there and they'll wait because they don't want to bother their adult child. Um, They don't have the money to get their medicines filled to make sure their lab levels are within um, reasonable range. 
and um, they don't have the money for their co-pays to see their physician. So if, if they have somebody who's able to come to them and make it a little bit more convenient for them to get it done and help educate them of the importance of getting your lab work done, there's like 75, 80% of the diagnoses are based off your lab results. So if you're skipping your lab results, your healthcare providers don't know how to treat you. And I'm not just talking about just your standard medical doctor, um, but we have our holistic doctors, our um, the various genetic testing doctors, there's there's the chiropractors who do more than just crack your back. Um, I, I, I highly recommend if your insurance will pay for it or, and or call and see if you can do it out of pocket. Um, the way that these various doctors work nowadays, not just the medical doctors, they are truly here for prevention. And um, a lot of our people, a lot of our people are not familiar with that. We wait until we pass out to know that we have diabetes. Whereas if you're getting your blood work done regularly, you can see these things coming. You can see that your kidney levels might be off a little bit um, while you're younger. And it's like, if you fix that simply by drinking more water or simply by avoiding certain foods, but you won't know that unless you know what your lab levels are. So when I talk about disparities, we're talking about lack of education. We're talking about lack of finances. We're talking about lack of transportation and then just lack of people resources, period. Um, you can't always bother your neighbor or your church member to take you to go get your blood work done. So give us a call. We'll come on out. We'll take care of you and make sure that you stay on track with everything. You shared some really amazing pieces there in regards to disparities and how your lab work affects it. And um, <laughs> I thought some of the points that you brought up about holistic medicine practitioners is something that we really don't get to touch on enough. Okay. And I think is fantastic information to, to share out. Um, something I saw in one of the articles about your organization is that you guys also tie in using a social worker um, in addition to just doing the blood draw. Um, what inspired you to do that? And what kind of impact have you seen that have on the patients that you guys are seeing? Well, we actually haven't used the resources of a social work recently. However, we brought the social workers in um, to assist our patients. Again, when I came in, I, I worked in North County here in St. Louis. And so a lot of disparities, a lot of disparities in, in the North County region. And so I brought the social worker in just to be available for our patients who do talk to us about um, some of their various concerns. A lot of patients don't even know that they have a concern. You know, they just live their life day to day and they've been doing it this way and it, it works for them, but it's not working for their health. So when we're having like a casual conversation as to um, your blood draw appointment, and then you start to tell us about what, whatever concerns that you have had in regards to seeing your doctor, um, your other healthcare providers, getting in to get your testing done, x-rays, then if we need to, we have a social worker that's on standby um, who will just have a casual conversation with you to see what your needs are. And if you do have any, in, any particular needs that need to be met, then it will turn into an official consult. And so they can get you all the resources that you need. But social workers are definitely um, key to helping with the disparities that we do see in the St. Louis region. Wow. Um, you know, it's so interesting because I feel like I want to, one thing that you said, it, it sounds like your volume is pretty good business, 30 to 40, you know, patients or clients per day. 
Um, so I can imagine it is a busy day um, for most of your team. And, you know, and I was thinking about, you know, this this in-home model, and I definitely want to get your thoughts. I just thought about my father when he was kind of going through his conge- his bout with congestive heart failure before he passed away. We had to have a lot of um, in-home care, a lot of at-home, you know, uh, services. And it was a little bit difficult for my, my mother to manage because there's a lot of people coming in. Some people were personable. Others were just kind of coming in, doing what they're doing and leaving, right? And so it was just a weird experience for us to have. Um, how have, you know, can you kind of just expand on the in-home model, how you kind of prepare and, and set, you know, your staff and your team up? What are the standards? What are the experiences like? You know, what are the learnings like? Or what do you all learn from that? And then how has being in home and dealing with folks kind of at that comfort level, do you feel like that's allowed you to, better educate or better have, you know, conversations um, with folks when it comes to their health? Um, it's still a challenge, the conversations. Um, and, I, and I always say, you know, you definitely need to pray on it. You know, if you have God covering you, you're, you're going to be safe. You're going to be okay. Um, keep God first, definitely. However, when um, what, we, what we do for our, our staff training, we, def, we definitely talk to them in regards to safety issues. Be very mindful we all know and hear about stay off the cell phone when you're walking down the street. Even if you're just going from your car up to their front door, people are watching you and people might think that your bag has something in it that they want, which it doesn't. <laughs> um, our staff carries very minimal. We do not have them collect any money while they're out in the field. We do everything electronically or over the phone from the office. So we try our best to keep our staff as safe as possible, but they also have to individually keep their awareness first. Um, be aware of your surroundings. Um, in regards to talking to patients to try to educate them, we truly only have a couple of minutes to do so. They can always call into the office and I'll be more than happy just on a nurse level to give them some, some resources and, and educate them a little bit. But in the home, we truly only have a few minutes. So we make the appointment. We typically get an order from the doctor's office. They fax it over to us. We upload it into their chart. We'll call the patient to make a convenient appointment with them. We, once we're there, we um, we identify them and have them sign our consent form, and then we do their blood draw. We're usually in and out in like five or ten minutes. Um, it doesn't take long at all unless you have really, really, really challenging veins, and it happens. Um, so in those cases, we might we may be in there 20, 30 minutes just trying to make sure that we keep the patient as comfortable as possible as we obtain their blood sample. But um, yeah, we typically have five or ten minutes in. If I'm in the house and I see just based off of um, the view that I have from where I am drawing your blood and if I feel like they have needs, I'll offer, do you think you need a nurse in here to help you with A, B, and C? Or do you have a family member that can do A, B, and C? And I am connected with um, a multitude of home care and home health agencies in the area. And we have exchanged patients quite often. So if I see a need that a patient, maybe they have a wound on their leg that they didn't let anybody know about, um, then I'll have a nurse come in and do an evaluation to see if we can get home health started, that sort of thing. So it's, it's been very rewarding in many aspects to be able to do this and go into the various homes. So, And a follow-up um, to that, thank you for that answer, is, you know, and I was reading in one of the articles um, about, you know, my Blooming Health's uh, experience during COVID-19. And how you all were only, or were only, excuse me, were one of the only um, healthcare organizations or companies in the region that were actually providing blood services or blood testing services. And I remember reading articles about that and how 
big of an issue that was for many patients. So can you talk no. about just what made you make that decision and what that experience was like? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny because um, we opened up our walk-in lab in late 2019 and then COVID hit like six months later. But um, with COVID, you just have to respect everybody's wishes. Um, mm. You know, the CDC and the government, they all put, we followed, I still follow a lot of healthcare directives out there. And so we just continue to follow their path, whatever they're doing out there in regards to safety for our patients. And then, of course, the CDC put things out there specific for healthcare workers, what we needed to do. There was actually a local lab that got shut down because they were not following the various PPE guidelines and making sure that their patient was safe because we're going from house to house to house to house. You don't know who has COVID. Everybody's not everybody's going to be honest, you know, if they have symptoms or have tested positive so that they can still get their treatment. So you have to treat everybody as if they have COVID and make sure you clean down, wipe down, wear your gloves, use your hand sanitizer, that sort of thing. Be very mindful of what you take into the house. It needs to be very minimal, that sort of thing. Things have absolutely gotten lax now that we what are about three years later here. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've been dealing with COVID for a long, long time, but We've had some patients who wanted us to draw their blood outside, and that's fine. You know, if this is a safe, secure, and clean area, we're more than happy to, if that's what makes you feel comfortable. Um, you know, everybody has on their N95 mask, and, and we're doing, and we have our, our face shields as well that we used to wear. Um, we don't wear the face shields anymore, but we still wear our mask, of course, and still do the other PPE, but um, but yeah, we, we had quite a few patients that wanted us to draw their blood outside, and as long as the weather was doable, you know, we, we respect their wishes and that's totally okay. If we walk in and you want us to wear shoe coverings in your particular house, or if you want us to, to, you want to watch us put hand sanitizer on and clean gloves, we will honor that. I mean, if, if that's what makes you feel safe, especially during the height of COVID, then that's what we did. It was scary. And we almost shut down. Actually, it was so scary. Yeah. I was watching too much of the news. <laughs> it was very scary. Um, but yeah, we, we got through it and I have very tough staff members. Um, they all pulled through, they pulled their way. They, they took care of their patients and, and it all turned out okay. So we're still standing. Uh, that actually keys me up perfectly. I was about to ask you, so the, the healthcare side of COVID is something that I think all, all three of us went through you in a more direct way than either Winston or I had to do working at WashU and BJC. But mm -hmm. another aspect to COVID was the, the business side of things. And as a small business owner who had just expanded and then we went into that tough environment, what was what was that experience like? You know, what was it like with, I'm sure, decreasing volumes at first and trying to help your staff through these tough times? I'd love to hear about some of your your leadership lessons and business challenges through the pandemic. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It was definitely the fear of the unknown because you didn't know what was going to happen. Our volume dropped just briefly. So we had a lot of physician offices that was obviously closed, which is when telemedicine skyrocketed. And they, they're doing the video chat with their doctors now um, more often. So the doctor's visits were had decreased dramatically, which means it, we lost a lot of business in that sense. Um, a lot of the facilities wouldn't let anybody into the facility unless it was imperative. Um, so not even us, because for the most part, we do routine blood draws in the facility. They're not critical or anything of that sort. So we lost that business. Um, but then, and, and that probably only lasted, I would say maybe two to three months, but that two to three months hurts. <laughs> you know, it was a dent because you didn't anticipate that. 
Um, but eventually, once once people started to feel that COVID was going to be here for a while, we need to figure out how to live. Then our numbers shot up the roof. And like I said, we see like 30 to 40 now. We were up to like 80, 80 plus back then. Yeah, it was like because nobody wanted to go and go anywhere, you know. And if you can come to us and, and if you can come to me and draw my blood and I don't have to drive anywhere to anybody and get out and walk past all these other sick people to get my blood drawn, then I'll do it that way. And that's 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 what we got quite often. So we had a very high number for for quite some time. And then you can tell once once COVID started to ease up to where it is about now, and then it was like just <laughs> volume started to decrease because people want to get out the house. You got our 80-year-old ladies who now, they want to get their hair done while they're getting their hair done, go get their blood work done. And, you know, they want to go. They want to go. So got to appreciate that. Wow. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's excellent. And I, and I always appreciate you kind of, you know, giving perspective or giving the patient's perspective or the individual's perspective as well, because it really grounds me in just, you know, how normal testing really should be and how readily available it should be for everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. One of the things just kind of tying everything together uh, that I, I, and I love this quote, um, you know, you, you reference this as well, you know, when you were a nurse, you're experiencing seeing patients kind of going back into the black hole after being discharged um, from uh -huh. a hospital and just this reoccurring cycle. Um, I think that's the thing that, you know, obviously is unfortunately standard, you know, in a lot of cities and a lot of different places, a lot of different healthcare organizations. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like over the course of this 10 year journey, almost that you have been able to kind of close that hole a little bit, or maybe potentially prevent um, from as many people slipping into that pathway? Absolutely. Yes. That was my number one goal when I left um, BJC was to be a part of um, the person who can help assist with the problem. And that problem was lack of resources, lack of resources to be able to get out and get their blood drawn um, to where it was even convenient and or understand the importance of it. So that is what we're doing now. And that is what we enjoy. We've met so many new people, so many new faces and so many new personalities. So we've gone from just doing like homebound individual patients who need routine blood work to people who are who are younger walker talkers and they voluntarily get their blood work done because they want to know their health status. They, they want to live a longer, healthy life. You know, we don't know if we're going to die at the age of 50 or the age of 90 or oh, 100 plus. I, we've got a 99 year old patient who lives alone, you know, and they're up moving around and you just you don't know what to anticipate. So we've got a lot of young people who are who are out here and learning and, and understanding what it takes to have a, a healthier lifestyle as they start to age. And so, yes, we are excited to be a part of of that journey for people. That's really awesome. Um, uh, something I would love to know is just kind of, you know, I feel like I look back sometimes and there are lessons I feel like I've learned along the way or mistakes maybe that I made when I was younger and dumber. Um, is there anything that you would want to reach back and either tell a, a younger version of yourself or even tell someone who maybe wants to open their own thing, but they're just a little nervous about taking that jump? What, what would you say to that person? Um, you know what? Steve Harvey said a famous quote. I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with it. And he says to just jump, right? When you decided you want to do something, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I do not agree with that because that's going to that's gonna sink you. So 
you do want to eventually jump, but you, if you set yourself goals, you have to put a timeline to it. And that's what I did when I was ready to start this. I sat down, I put everything on a piece of paper. I did my research. I um, went to the state to see exactly what was required, went to the various lab um, conferences to see what was going to be required. And I put my steps on paper and I put a date to it because I'm also a procrastinator. <laughs> so I put dates to it. And, and just as you're held accountable at work where you get a paycheck, or um, where your, your spouse or loved one or your kids expect you to do something by a certain date so that they can have whatever they need, you've got to do that for yourself. So you put dates on there. And when that date starts to get close, it's, you work it up. You work whatever you work up whatever it is that you need in order to reach your next goal. And then you just start marking it off your list. You just start marking things off your list. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, my God, I'm ready to open. Let's put a date to it and have our grand opening and it's done. Do not jump. I do not agree with that. Do not jump because you won't have enough money saved up and you might not, um, period. But if you, you have to do your research. If you at least start and do your research, know what's, get all that stuff on paper and have a true understanding, you'll be fine. But don't jump without the knowledge. That makes me feel so much better because I felt like we should have been jumping with this podcast last year. <laughs> and we no, really take it our out. time. <laughs> yeah, map it out. Now, you're, you're going to constantly learn. You're going to constantly learn as you grow. But that initial step, you need to be confident of at least what your foundation is going to look like and feel like. Because once you get that foundation in place, I mean, you don't want to just open it up and then that's what it is. You want it to continue to expand and and grow and you can't do that if um you're learning all the basics after you've opened up so right. get all the basic stuff out of the way and figure all that stuff out and wow. then once you're in it just take off just continue to learn continue to set goals your goals will always lead to new goals so wow i love that um this is this is amazing it's really been an excellent conversation. I know we are coming around, you know, roughly the um, hour mark. So um, just before we kind of get into the last segment of the show, um, Danita, where can people find out more about My Blooming Health, um, yourself, you know, just any contact website info that you can provide to the audience? Well, we're excited to bring on our IV infusion program. So definitely follow us on our website, which is mybloominghealth.com. Uh, we will shoot out some emails if you guys are already following us. Um, we are on social media as far as Instagram, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I, I think that's all. I can't keep up with all this social media stuff, but I think those are the ones. But follow us, especially Facebook, I'm pretty active with, and um, I'll keep you abreast of what, what our next steps are. You can also call us at 314-942-3273. I gave you our, our web address, mybloominghealth.com, and... Um, yeah, that's us. Awesome. Well, uh, Winston, unless you have any other questions, I'll go ahead and move us to the, the last segment of the show. So for this segment, we have a little more fun than we've been having. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you three rapid fire questions. They oh, can God. be about anything. Um, and you're just going to throw us some answers. So I'm ready to go whenever you are. I'm ready. Let's rock and roll. See what All I can right. Do. We'll start off easy. Dogs or cats? Dogs good answer what was your last impulse buy mm, i think there were sunglasses i hope they were good sunglasses yeah, and last one would you go skydiving or scuba no. diving nope oh neither one 
<laughs> I, want, I want my two feet on the ground. I'm good. I won't even get on the roller coaster. I'm good. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we were going to invite you out for, for one or the other, but I guess we'll just have to cancel that outing. Um, <laughs> I'll, but... I'll watch you guys on TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. I learned a lot just, just listening to you. I, I'm sure that people will get a lot out of this episode. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Winston, do you have anything else you want to add on? No, I just appreciate the time and the opportunity to, to get onto your show. I appreciate this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you guys keep awesome. doing what you're doing. This is phenomenal. Thank you so much, Tina. Well, that's it for the episode. And we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling. <laughs>